Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Quantum edge computing is a new paradigm that brings quantum processing power to the edge of the network. This means that quantum computers can be deployed closer to where the data is generated and processed. It can lead to significant performance improvements and reduce latency in information processing. There's a growing interest in quantum edge computing from both industry and academia. It's still in its early stages of development, but has the potential to revolutionize wide ranges of industries, including healthcare, finance, and logistics. My guest today is Dr. Alan Baratz. Alan became the CEO of D-Wave in 2020. D-Wave bills itself as the practical quantum computing company. It has been a leader in the development and delivery of quantum computing system software and quantum software execution via cloud as a service. Alan has over 25 years of experience in production development and bringing new products to market. He was the first president of JavaSoft at Sun Microsystems, and he has served as the CEO and the president of Versata, Zaplet, and Neopath Networks, and as managing director of Warburg Pincus LLC. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation about the current deployment of quantum edge computing in today's digital economy. Alan, welcome to the Explain to Shane podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest today. You are doing really, really interesting work, so I'm so excited to have you here. Um, can you start us off by explaining the difference between, this is a big one, quantum computing, traditional classic computing, and then you are doing something called uh, quantum edge computing, which sounds like kind of baby-stepping us into the big world that we keep hearing about that we hear is so far away, but yet you are, you're doing it. So it, it, in, enlighten us. Sure. Happy to do it, and thank you for uh, giving, giving me the opportunity to speak with you today. Um, Absolutely. So quantum computing is nothing more than using quantum mechanical effects, things like superposition, entanglement, tunneling, the spooky effects to be able to solve hard computational problems much faster than they can be solved classically. Now, there are two primary approaches to quantum computing. Uh, One is known as annealing, and the other is known as gate. And they are each good at solving different types of problems. So annealing quantum computers are very good at solving optimization problems. Things like employee scheduling or autonomous vehicle routing on manufacturing plant floors or how to uh, assign uh, countermeasures to take out incoming missiles. These are all hard optimization problems and annealing quantum computers are very good at solving those problems. Gate model systems, on the other hand, are very good at solving differential equations. These solve problems like quantum chemistry or uh, new materials development. And in fact, while annealing is good at optimization, it's not very good at differential equations. And while gate model is very good at differential equations, it's not very good at optimization. And so you need both classes of quantum computers in order to be able to solve the broad array of hard problems that governments and businesses need to be able to solve. Thank you. That was a very clean introduction to that, but we're going to need a few more examples because you mentioned autonomous vehicles 
in scheduling? Is that a supply chain management type of scheduling that you're talking about there? Or explain yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So let me be a bit more specific. Uh, we have a customer uh, by the name of Savantex. Savantex provides software to shipping ports to basically manage how cranes move cargo containers across the port from the ships onto the port and then ultimately onto the trucks. What Savantex did was they quantum enabled their software, basically calling our quantum computer roughly every 15 seconds to help compute the optimal movement of the cranes moving containers throughout the port. And what they found is that by using the solutions generated by the quantum computer, they are able to allow each crane to move up to 60% more containers in a day than the schedules that the classical computers were developing. Moreover, this has allowed them to increase the throughput through the port by about 12%. So this is a very concrete example in the supply chain logistics arena of how quantum computers today can add value. So you said calling the computer every 15 seconds. So is it like a computer buddy, like that's not always there, or is it waiting for you to ping it? How does that work? Um, in some sense, yeah, I think computer buddy might not be a bad characterization. Uh, the okay. idea is that um, many applications at their core are solving a hard computational problem. But the hard computational problem is not the entire application. It's just a component, the core of the application. So typically what you would do is you would run the application on a classical computer, and then as needed, it would make a call out to the quantum computer to help solve that core computational problem. The results would get passed back, and then the application could, would continue running. It's a little bit like the way GPUs are used in support of machine learning. You don't run the whole machine learning application on the GPU, but you make calls out to the GPU in support of the machine learning application. So are you an F1 fan at all? Because it sounds like DRS to me. Um, <laughs> it's well, like I, you're wandering around and every once in a while you hit a straight and you're like, okay, I can like actually punch harder right now. But you couldn't do that in like the, you know, there's certain times. So I don't know that I'm an F1 fan. I have been to Formula <laughs> 1 races before. I will say, oh, I will say that that's so cool. noise is a bit intense for me. But okay, uh, but okay that's a fair characterization. Yeah, there's a certain point where you can just basically rev up your engine and a certain a bunch of rules to it. But, you know, so it sounds like it's you don't always want everything to run at quantum. That would be an expensive way to manage your supply chain. But every once in a while, you need that boost. Exactly. And, it, right. but every, and, and it's not okay. just that it would be a waste. The quantum computer isn't good at running all computations. For example, you would never run a user interface on a quantum computer. That's just not what it's good for. It's good for the core computation. It sounds like it would get bored. <laughs> 
So this is currently in place because we keep hearing that quantum isn't here yet, but yet you are already have, you know, you have customers. So this is a really important point. Yes, uh, we have over 60 customers that we are working with to leverage our quantum computer today across a variety of different industries and use cases. So, for example, we're working with MasterCard on improving uh, customer loyalty rewards, basically optimizing which uh, programs get offered to which cardholders. We're also working with them on fraud detection. We're working with Davidson Technologies, a government contractor on, as I said, missile targeting as well as radar assignment. Uh, we're working with a grocery chain, Patterson Food Group, on uh, employee scheduling and e-commerce grocery delivery. We're working with Vinci Energies in Europe on basically how to improve construction uh, HVAC systems in particular, so that they're more aesthetically pleasing and less materials end up being used. So a, a broad array of customers across different industries and different use cases. Um, but, but you know, at the end of the day, what's important is that we are commercial today. Now, we are the only quantum computing company that is commercial today, and there's a reason for that. A bit earlier, I mentioned that there are two primary approaches to quantum, annealing and gate. Now, at D-Wave, we decided to start with annealing. We started there because it's good at solving optimization problems, and we felt that those were really important problems that needed to be solved. But it's also a much easier technology to work with. It's easier to scale. It's much less sensitive to noise and errors. And because we started with annealing, we have the largest and most powerful quantum computer in the world today at 5,000 qubits, and we are the only company whose quantum computers can be used commercially in support of production applications. Everybody else decided to start with gate model. And the problem with gate model is that it's very temperamental. It's very sensitive to noise and errors. It's very difficult to scale. We are probably seven or more years away from having a gate model quantum computer that is large enough and quiet enough, low noise, low error rates, to be able to do useful commercial work. Or I know that the qubits like to be cold. That's part of the challenge. <laughs> so I'm told in all the reading that I do. Um, is the, Are you using something that is l less sensitive but still as powerfully mathematically? Is that kind of yeah. where you're going so, um, so first of all, there are different underlying technologies that are used to build quantum computers. Okay. Uh, superconducting is one of them. And those are the quantum computers that need to run very cold, close to absolute zero. So we do use superconducting technology. We use it for our annealing quantum computers, and we are using it for our gate model systems because we are building gate model systems as well. As I said, we're the only company in the world that does annealing, but we're also the only company in the world doing both annealing and gate, since we're the only ones doing annealing, and now we're doing gate as well. Um, but we use superconducting technology, and so we do run cold. There are other approaches to building quantum computers that uh, don't have to run cold. Um, however, we believe superconducting is the best technology for building quantum computers. And the reason is because um, when you build a quantum computer, you need to balance between isolating the qubits from the environment so that you're not interrupting the quantum mechanical effects, but at the same time, allowing those qubits to interact 
with one another so that they can do computation. Well, some of the technologies for building quantum computers are so good at isolating the qubits from the environment that they're also isolating the qubits from one another. And that makes it very difficult for them to interact, right? Whereas other technologies are less good at isolating from the environment, but then the qubits can interact better with one another. So you have, for example, trapped ions on one end of the spectrum. They're very good at isolating the qubits from the environment, but as a result, it's very hard to get them to interact, and so they run more slowly with respect to performing computation. We think superconducting is the better technology because you get enough isolation, but the qubits can interact with one another so you can do computation very quickly. But in my head, I'm thinking about people having to deal with small children. They're like, he's really smart, but he can only be managed with two kids at a time over here in the corner. <laughs> and then eventually we're going to migrate him to the larger group where they're playing with the ball, right? Uh, that's that's fascinating stuff. So when you're talking about like scheduling for a grocery store uh, chain, what, what, how how is yeah. quantum helping okay. that? Okay, so uh, it turns out that um, – most of the problems that businesses need to solve are computationally very, very hard. It's just that businesses are using heuristics to come up with what they hope are good enough solutions. So they're solving these problems today. It's just that they're not solving them to optimality. They're solving them okay. to what they hope is a good enough solution. So employee scheduling is an example of that. You might think, oh, that's really easy. I mean, you know, you know John's going to work these hours, and Mary's going to work those hours, and everybody's happy, and I move on. But it's not quite that simple, because when you talk about employee scheduling, there are many factors that you need to consider. You want to consider how many hours per day an employee wants to or is willing to or is capable of working. You may have various diversity uh, requirements for your scheduling that you need to meet. There may be various union rules or regulations that need to get addressed. There are different skill sets that you need to staff with on a given uh, day or a given time frame. So are there are many, many requirements and constraints that need to get adhered to when you schedule. And so when you set this up as a computational problem that needs to be solved, it ends up being a very, very complex computational problem, and one that is so complex that classical computers aren't not able to solve it optimally. So you use a classical computer to try to come up with what you hope is a good enough solution. Now we wheel in quantum computers, and they're able to deliver much better solutions, and as a result, your business can operate more efficiently than you thought it was able to operate. And is, again, that idea that it's the computer buddy, like you set up the initial thought process and then you bring in the quantum element to be like, okay, think about this smarter and exactly. faster. Just give me a better okay. schedule and then the rest of the application will manage what to do with that schedule once it's been computed. Wow. I can't wait until that is in some way. And I, I would love to have that, but I imagine that would be expensive just to do for Shane's uh, day. Well, but, you, 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 know, it's you, amazing. you might be surprised be, for the following reason. So uh, we make our quantum computers available through a quantum cloud service. We have our own quantum cloud service. Oh, it's nice. called Leap. Okay. Uh, this service was designed not just for research experimentation, but to run real business applications in production. So we built in 
the security and the privacy and the availability to, re to run real business applications at production. In fact, we've passed multiple security audits from our customers to get them to the point where they were willing to run their production applications on our system. But we have our own quantum cloud service. It's backed by our uh, production-ready quantum computers. And so, you know, you don't have to go buy an expensive quantum computer to use it. You simply buy access to the quantum compute cycles through our cloud service. And, you know, I think it's very affordable. So I can imagine you coming into a sales meeting, and it sounds really cool. Now the question is, like, you know, everybody wants a piece of the quantum. I mean, so how do you decide when you first come in, like, what, what is the value proposition to who gets to get in the queue and who gets yeah, time on so it? So the quantum computer is extremely fast. Uh, typically, it takes about a microsecond to solve a problem. I mean, in a minute of quantum compute time, we can solve between 400 and 4,000 problems. So there isn't really an issue vying for capacity or access to the quantum computer. Our quantum cl cloud service allows, it acts almost in real time. Our customers are able to submit their jobs and get their results back right away. That's amazing. So are other countries more engaged in this? Are we lagging in this The, the U.S. Area? is absolutely lagging. Um, first of all, it's lagging in terms of dollar investment. China, for example is investing on the order of 15 billion uh, in quantum computing. The US is less than 4 billion. Moreover, that investment is through the National Quantum Initiative Act, which was a 10-year act that was um, put in place about five years ago. It needed to be reauthorized this past September, and it was not. Congress failed to reauthorize it, not because they didn't want to, but because they've got other problems that they're dealing with right now that we're all aware of. So this National Quantum Initiative must get reauthorized so that we can continue moving forward. So first of all, we're spending less than other countries. Second of all, our primary funding vehicle needed a reauthorization and that hadn't been done yet. Third, the US government is not focused on two very important elements of quantum. One is inclusivity. They are very focused on gate, but only gate. And that's a big miss on the part of the US government because they're missing important technologies. Other countries are inclusive of all quantum technology. Second point is the US government is not focused on near-term use of quantum. All the money is going to funding long-term technology research not near-term use of quantum. And that's also a big miss. Other countries are already starting to use quantum in support of you know, government um, problems and needs. And so we must not only reauthorize the National Quantum Initiative, but fix it. Fix it to be inclusive of all quantum technologies and fix it to be supportive of near-term use of quantum, not just long-term research. There's a, a measure that's working its way through Congress now. It's called the Quantum Sandbox Bill. I don't necessarily love the term sandbox because it sounds like it's a plaything, and we're talking about important technology here. But uh, it's in the Senate now, and it basically talks to the government focusing on being inclusive of all quantum and supporting near-term applications. 
In addition, the House version of the National Defense Authorization does include support for all forms of quantum and near term. That's in the Senate now as well. And we need to kind of get those things through and then really kind of look at how we can improve the National Quantum Initiative, which is the primary funding vehicle, to include that support also. So uh, it's the policies are being driven by the dollars that haven't been allocated. In some like. sense, yes. Okay. Yeah, we call it policy through procurement. Yeah. It's interesting that way. So you mentioned China. Um, are they spending money on both annealing and gate as well? They are, and they, are they, they making this choice are. on gate as well? I, yeah. I will say the majority of the money is in gate, uh, but they do have some work going on in annealing as well. Uh, Japan has some work going on in annealing. There's some work going on in annealing in uh, in Europe also. I, I, that's, I, I guess sometimes you make choices and you, you bet a little wrong. But we can we have time yeah, to correct this. We do. I mean, it's still That's, it's still at the point in time where uh, quantum is just emerging. We we at D Wave are the first commercial quantum computing. We're the only commercial quantum computing, but it's still just getting started. So, um, give us some more real world examples of, of the, like what you're looking at in your systems because these are yeah. fascinating. So, uh, um, you know, I, I've talked about shipping ports. I've talked about employee scheduling. I talked about customer loyalty rewards programming and uh, HVAC. Um, you know, I, I, no, you didn't uh, mention HVAC. No, that, that, that's, uh, there's a company in Europe that is basically uh -huh. using our system. Uh, you know, where, where, do you, uh, where do you put the sources? Uh, you, know, how, you know, how much capacity do you need? Um, these are hard computational problems. And again, they use heuristics to try to come up with good enough solutions but leveraging our quantum computer, the solutions are much more efficient. Um, the runs are straighter, fewer jogs, you need less uh, um, uh, HVAC capacity, and uh, you know, save costs, um, save the environment, uh, and more aesthetically pleasing. I love the idea that it's basically a computer boost because you do hear about, you know, especially with GPUs, that there's the concern that there's using so much more compute and therefore a lot more energy. So the idea of only coming in as a booster every once in a while, well, every 15 seconds know, but still, um, <laughs> does mean that you're making a difference there. The other thing you hear about is, you know, the concern with quantum is that it's going to break our crypto, you know, a lot of um, a lot of our situations there. But it seems to me like the flip side of that is that you should have an ability to make it stronger, too. I'm somebody who would love to get rid of the passwords. Passwords are a terrible thing. Um, they need to be upgraded. So is this our, is there a possible path here to make us more secure using this rather than being concerned about so, so quantum just killing everything? Uh, to this question. First of all, yes, there is work underway right now to develop quantum safe encryption. And, and as a result, we will come out of this with even more uh, secure cryptography systems. However, that having been said, nobody should jump out the window because they think that you know, all their private information is going to all of a sudden become public. Um, we are not even close to quantum computers being able to break state-of-the-art cryptography today. Um, and let me give you an example. Um, if uh, you want to break a 2,000-bit RSA encryption system, which is state-of-the-art for RSA today, which is the primary encryption system in use, if you want to break a 2,000-bit RSA encryption system, depending on whether you're using superconducting technology or ion trap technology or photonic technology, you will need between 20 million and a billion qubits. Well, 
D-Wave is the largest quantum computer in the world today. We have 5,000 qubits. The gate model systems are at a few hundred qubits. So we're talking probably 15 to 20 years at least before a quantum computer will be able to break RSA. So we have time, but we're working on uh, quantum safe encryption today because encrypted data tends to last for a long time. It can last for up to 10 years. So we'd like to start using quantum safe encryption within another five to 10 years. So we've got some time, but we are working on it today. That's hopeful, it's good to know. Um, any last thoughts on things you have on the plate you haven't talked about yet? Because it sounds like yeah, you're doing some so, really amazing um, work. You know, let me just say that you know we are the only company in the world that does annealing. We are the only company in the world as a result doing both annealing and gate. Our annealing quantum computers are commercial today. Our gate model systems are pretty much on the same timeline as everybody else. It'll be seven to ten years before they're commercial. But for the annealing systems, we're supporting a lot of interesting use cases. And you know, I, I mean. You know, I haven't mentioned tsunami evacuation, which is uh, work. Why would you wait this long it's to tell us there's work, tsunami evacuation? Work, work, tell us about that. Uh, we're sending Japan, leveraging our quantum computer. It has okay. applications for hurricane evacuation uh, in the U.S. and other parts of the world. So, Is that all on, on modeling, yeah, it, or it, what's the it, key it, there? Well, that, the okay. modeling is, yeah. but the point is, you know, how do you get people to safety in the most efficient fashion? And that's a hard optimization problem. Also, CO2 emission reduction. Uh, again, in Japan, how to uh, um, uh, manage waste pickup to reduce uh, CO2 emissions. So, you know, the list goes on and on. A lot of really interesting problems, all being solved today on quantum systems. Well, first of all, you need to get everyone to be as organized about their garbage in general as Japan. Let's just, if we can get that and let's start with that and then you can just come in above it and just, you know, do the computer buddy. That'd be amazing. Well, thank you so much for explaining all this to us today on today's podcast. Please keep us posted. We would love to stay in touch and learn more. And it sounds like I need to delve into what Congress is doing up there. Maybe, well, that's a tough one these days. There but is hope. There's hope. We're going to say I'm always, always try to be an optimist. Well, Alan, thank you for being a My guest pleasure. today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.